Today's guest is one whom I have a professional relationship with, which makes today's conversation even more interesting. Angus Munro is a multifaceted singer-songwriter with a four-octave range, and I have had the pleasure to hear it on many occasions. Born in Sidcup, London, to an Italian father and Scottish mother, Angus experienced a variety of obstacles growing up. By the age of three, Angus developed glue ear, which caused deafness, impacting his development, losing his ability to walk, talk and communicate with those around him, put him back about two years, at which point he was diagnosed with dyspraxia. He recalls being an isolated child, but it was also a period which informed his performing skills since he discovered two passions, puppets and cartoons. He would stage shows for his sisters and friends and would affect very high voices for his characters. Angus, Angus attributes this to vigorous vocal muscular training, to being able to sing at such high registers with relative ease. Open mic nights, stand-up evenings and workshops provided a means through which he could relate and understand his experiences. He adds, over the years, I learned that the person I would affect on stage was my real self, and I became more confident in not only who I was, but talking about mental health as a whole. Angus, where did that relationship with puppets and cartoons begin? It began when I was very, obviously when I was very young and um, during periods in which I had to sort of learn to sort of walk again and sort of just relearn things that I had inherently forgot through glue ear and just through a long period of having that. Uh, I was plopped in front of the TV and uh, I associated a lot of sort of good memories with watching cartoons like Tom and Jerry on the BBC Cartoon Network. They would show all those kinds of shows. And there was a lot of vibrant energy there. It was a lot of fun to watch. And I, I, I feel I kind of related. I wanted to do something along those lines. And uh, I had a very hyperactive imagination. So I would write a lot of stories as well and just sort of make characters with puppets and whatever I could do with my hands to affect like a person or something. And um, obviously I have a very captive audience of my sisters. So I would, I would do... I would do puppets for them. And off the basis of that, I really enjoyed performing. And through school, sort of learning an instrument, I found I could really pretty much replicate what I was doing with puppets, with instruments. And yeah, and, and the rest is as it means to go on. So was this your introduction into music as well? Because obviously with cartoons, music is associated with that. A large part, a large, large part. I remember as a kid, I really, I really, really liked the Disney film, um, Basil, the Great Mouse Detective, but it is known elsewhere as the Great Mouse Detective. I think that's what it is on Disney Plus anyhow. And I really liked the score and the songs and the songs and the score aren't really that great compared to how Disney tends to sort of formulate its songs. In fact, this was before they really started pushing the concept of a Disney musical um, again in the 90s. But I learned very young who was the composer. It was Henry Mancini. And I would sort of look at the other stuff that they had done. And there's a huge body of work. And that was a 
first instance of me sort of associating sort of like a song or a composer with a style of music, a style of pop songwriting. Um, so in that instance, yeah, absolutely sort of that sort of fed into music. Another side of that was my mum tells me that there was a, a washing machine advert and I pointed at the TV and I said, uh, Fantasia. And my mum's like, what? It's, it's a whirlpool. It's not a Fantasia. But Fantasia was um, obviously this big Disney epic, which was just all classical music. And I was very quick to associate the music from that with that film. Um, apparently, this is, this is a trait which is quite common in some autistic children. I wouldn't say I was autistic, but there were certain aspects which I sort of like clung on to, which apparently some kids do have. Um, <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> no, I, I understand that reference because a lot of classical music over the years has been used in advertising campaigns and some mm. people's association with music is via adverts. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, very famously, I think Tom Waits doesn't like any of his music used in adverts. And the Beastie Boys very famously didn't like any of their songs to use in adverts until they sold the rights to their music, I think, maybe five years ago. Or in between, in the space of five years ago. So hopefully we'll hear more Beastie Boys uh, flogging jeans or whatever, because that stuff's great. So talk to us about your first relationship with music. And I'm thinking not the music within cartoons and so forth, because you've got an interesting list of tracks here. Um, yeah. The music of the pop world, um, or soul and R&B, who introduced you to this and um, at what age? So my dad was a big proponent of um, introducing me to all kinds of music at a young age. So very much on all the vinyls he collected, because he was a big music nerd, and um, all the CDs he had, and he tried to push on me a lot of alternative prog rock, which is a terrible idea. Um, it wasn't really my thing. But I gravitated very quickly towards one album in particular, which is Songs for Swinging Lovers by um, Frank Sinatra, which is by far the least cool album that you can possibly gravitate towards because it is the first, I think, the first album to chart in the UK. And um, I really liked how simple the songs were. Like they got to the point very, very quickly. Um, I liked how you could associate going back to sort of listening to Henry Mancini and being like, okay, who is this? You know, what other songs have they done? You can sort of look at the songwriters. You can even look at the arrangers and see their body of work and there being a thread throughout all of it, a progression. Um, and I really enjoyed that probably more than the album itself. Um, although it's a, it's a bloody good record. It's really, really good. Um, it's got some like deep cuts. I don't know if you call them deep cuts of like not, well-known Sinatra songs like uh, I Thought About You and um, It Happened in Monterey, which are really great, really, really great. And they all have Nelson Riddle arrangements. Nelson Riddle's the king of sort of big band arrangements, in my opinion. But I'm um, sorry, orchestral arrangements. And these albums like this and then others sort of I really, really got into. And it was only actually... I sort of, you could say I progressed sort of backwards in terms of what I enjoyed. Um, as I got older, as I was very young, I got into sort of like the 40s, 50s, 60s, that kind of, well, those decades and the music that was entailed in them. Um, I used to listen to a lot of the Goon Show as well. So once again, 
very, very old, but they would have sort of bands play like Ray Ellington and, um, ah, damn it, the, the saxophonist, Max Geldre, they would, um, not saxophonist, harmonica play. Harmonicist, you get the idea. Plays harmonica very well. Um, I would sort of be introduced to jazz vocal through that. And initially I wanted to do a lot of jazz because that was my bread and butter. But as I got older, I, you know, the music decades caught up with me, started getting into like 70s, 80s, 90s. And now I'm only listening to music that hasn't been invented yet. So I'm just checking, that's not true. Um, yeah. But your first choice is Lamont Dozier, Shine. Why this one? This is a record that my dad would put on and he would specifically talk about. He would say, you know, Lamont Dozier is sort of like an unrecognized genius. This is his first sort of like solo record. And there's so many um, samples and so many pieces of music which derive from this one album or a lot of Lamont Dozier's work. And I didn't really recognize that until during university and I got into more sort of hip hop and rap that I would hear certain samples from like this record. I'm like, that's not on Dozier. And I would also see that name in quite a lot of good sort of <clears throat> Motown and offset of Motown songs, the name Lamont Dozier. Originally, I thought it was like two people because it's, you know, it sounds like two last names put together. Um, and Shine is really, really gorgeous, like very, very rich textured track. And it's the first track. So this is the one which is, the, it's on the LP. So it's the first track, which is always played when I can be asked to pick up the record and put it on the vinyl um, player. And uh, if I recall correctly, it's featured in so many different sort of like hip hop songs, just like cuts of this and cuts of this and cuts of this. Yeah, this song is almost like, a great a greatest hits of what to expect on this record starts off with these lush string arrangements and the band comes in then you've got like Lamont's really soulful voice which isn't as known as say his songwriting but there is something to be said for a songwriter singing their own material there's a fragility there's a vulnerability um in you could say almost an untrained voice i wouldn't say it was untrained though because it is gorgeous welcome
this track with like memories of my dad being like you've got to hear this album you've got to hear this record this song uh which he used to do quite regularly and yeah this one stuck out to me well asking you to listen to our music so long as it's not prog rock <laughs> yeah yeah well I, I did get prog rock at some point but you know it t- took a while and i only did it to humor <laughs> so where how old were you at the time of this lamont dozier track being oh, uh thrust in front of you and say Listen probably to this. 14 probably 14 15 years old um he would certainly suggest like some really crazy stuff when i was younger being like hey have you heard saint alfonso's pancake breakfast and thinking it's going to be a nice breakfast but it's in fact a bananas uh zapper mother's invention um track but yeah this is this is one of sort of like the few sort of like soul R&B records that he had on vinyl, which I'd never heard of before, or at least I'd never known people talk about. And it's the, the album cover itself is, it's incredibly pompous and very, um, it's, it's incredibly eye catching. It is a bust of Lamont Dozier himself, um, made to look like the composer Bach. And it just says black Bach. And this is this big sort of like black bust of this, uh, composer peering out it's it's really really cool it immediately grabs your eye so age 14 had you decided that you were going to pursue a career in music or did you have other things in mind to pursue i wanted to do a lot of stuff when i was a kid i wanted to do um to to write books i wanted to do comics i wanted to draw a lot um you are artistic aren't you creatively yes you know with drawings and yeah i'd yeah i like to do and stuff um, I should probably get back into that, but I, I, I guess at that age, I did want to do something musically because I was playing, um, the saxophone. I just started playing the saxophone and yeah, it's something that really interested me. There was, there was an album, a compilation record that my dad had cheesily called uh, sax in the city because it was, you know, jumping off the sax in the city TV show. And they were just like, here's a bunch of like terrible, um, easy listening cheesy stuff that we can't get rid of so we put it on a double record and sell it at a petrol station but it had some really great tracks it's a really great artist and that's how i was introduced to the likes of grover washington jr and uh, even tom scott 
and weird and obscure sort of 70s, like around about then, 13, 14, 15. I did want to do something sort of musically. I just wasn't particularly sure. I just wanted to do things that I enjoyed. So we learned that by age three, you had glue ear, which impacted your development. Was the process of listening to music, uh, cartoons and watching television part of your rehabilitation, would you say, that led no, into the... I no? Yeah, I wouldn't say it, it did. I uh, I don't remember too much, to be honest, of um, when I had glue ear. Um, I, I certainly do remember having to do, to go to classes about sort of like walking, um, how to sort of walk downstairs properly and sort of like balance on a beam properly and catch a ball. I remember more of those things, like sort of aftermath makes, the word aftermath makes it sound like something horrible and terrible happened, like a big catastrophic event, but because I don't remember it, um, and it just sort of gradually happened and then one day it was gone. I don't think it equates as much, but I do remember more doing physical rehabilitation as opposed to sort of listening to tracks. I'm, I'm certain it was encouraged. It was like, he's doing something that... Uh, keeps him out of the kitchen for like 30 minutes is great so at, in that sense yeah it might have been but I don't think it was an official stance no on to track two I mean you've chosen a really diverse um selection of music I'm really excited to go through them with you so talk to me about track two Ramadan is awesome and this is a first instance of um just going into a record store and just picking something and not knowing what it is and just giving it a go I've, I like to do that occasionally. I've not really done it that much recently, but I used to do it a lot. And when I first went to university at Strathclyde, uh, there was a um, HMV store on uh, Princess Street. And uh, it's now like maybe a JD to some, some crap. But um, we would go, or I would go with a few friends just to either look at sort of like cult movies or CDs. I decided to give this record a go. I was just like, I don't know, the album cover looks cool. It's just a guy with glasses sort of looking off to the side. It's this state of mind. You flip it over. One of the featured artists is Stevie Wonder. And he associates himself, you know, with the best of the best. So I was like, I'll give it a go. And I was blown away when I first heard it. And I just started university. So, you know, any inspiration to continue doing music was, you know, absolutely given the thumbs up by me. And Ramadan is an, a legend in light of a better word. He is a, like a phenom when it comes to playing um, guitar. So he can sort of like encompass every part of like a full band with his guitar, sort of knocking on the wood, slapping with his thumb, um, using harmonics with his left hand on the neck on the fret, um, all the while sort of singing. Um, with this most gorgeous voice with incredible range. It's really, really soulful. His tone is absolutely warm and round and really what you're wanting. And uh, on top of it all, he um, I don't think he has any sight. I think he's hes blind. And so for his ability to sort of like do this at the same time, you know, it's immediately your brain goes to like Ray Charles or Stevie Wonder. So I think that was really a big boon for him to get um, noticed by the likes of Stevie Wonder, etc., um, And sort of record execs actually get the record out. But, you know, he absolutely made the most of it because this record is gorgeous. This, 
I, I found it really hard to try and find like a particular song off this album to choose, but because this is the first, it's one which I think there's a performance of him on Jules Holland, um, back when he used to put cool music on the show. No, he still does. Um, he, it's really, really good. It's phenomenal because it's just him on the guitar and singing and yeah, it's great. Used to sit and worry about the future. Worrying about the future don't change the past. Used to think tomorrow would be better. But now I know that I'm doing the best I can. I'm just a man trying to find the reason for what I stand. Took some time to realize that I am what I am. And I want to be rich. I want to be happy. And live inside a love that shines bright enough to last a lifetime. I wanna be rich, more than a fantasy. Ride the winds and climb. Cause it's all a state of mind. It's all a state of mind. Yeah, it's all a state of mind. Wake up in the morning and I turn the pages. Don't understand what's going down. Everybody's acting so outrageous It's gonna take a lot of love to turn things around I'm just a man Trying to find the reasons why I stand Took some time to realize that I am What I am And I wanna be rich I wanna be happy yeah. And live inside a love that shines bright enough to last a lifetime I wanna be rich More than a fantasy Ride the winds and climb Cause it's all a state of mind I hear people talking about going to heaven Grab a little bit of heaven right here on earth Troubled times lead to healing times I was sad, now I'm feeling fine It's a taking and a giving That makes this life worth living Makes this life worth living I wanna be rich I wanna be happy And live inside a love that shines Bright enough to last a lifetime I wanna be rich More than a fancy Ride the winds and fly Cause it's all a state of mind that shines bright enough to light the Lord. I wanna be rich, more than a fantasy. Ride the winds and climb, ride the winds and fly. Cause it's all a state of mind. But you know that it's a fantasy, more than fantasy. It's also really good story or it reminds me a lot of going to university and sort of just buying albums on a whim not even listening to them and just giving it a go and uh, this was a huge boon this was a big sort of like a get for me because you know it, it doesn't always work going to buy a random record there's a lot of really bad music out there as I, I found out but um this is the complete opposite it's a it's a really cool memory for me and it's a great track so when did you decide that music was going to be your career? When I was in high school, I would play a lot of piano. I would try and write songs and that brought me a lot of joy. And I've 
wanted to pursue that. I really wanted to pursue songwriting and just have fun with making music because I, I got a lot out of it cathartic wise. Um, cathartically, that's a terrible word. I'm pretty certain it doesn't exist. I got a lot of, I got a lot out of it. And I also, you know, when you're in high school, you don't really know what you want to do. You don't. And so there's any sort of direction that you have, you sort of take it. And so I was suggested, why don't you apply for this course? And I applied for a bunch and uh, I got this one at Strathclyde. And you know, it's great because it no longer exists. And so um, we ended up, uh, oh, we, I ended up going and thoroughly, thoroughly got a lot out of it. It was an applied music course. So it taught you how to do almost everything. And then it encouraged you to just go out and apply yourself and get a job doing music. Um, I couldn't have asked for a, a better platform. Um, and yeah, that really cemented that I could actually do this as a living, as opposed to here's something for funsies, you know, just to play, just to write songs. This was like, you know, you can actually make money doing this, right? And you can actually support others and make a difference in your community by doing this kind of stuff. And the older I got, the more I realized that, you know, the money aspect is important, but it's the community aspect is even more. And you see the difference in people you teach and musicians you work with as they come up with you, as, you know, they do their own thing, as they sort of every so often join alongside you and do markets. You see how they're growing and how you are. That's that's the real benefit. And for me, I understood that when I was in university. But in high school, that's when I was like, I want to play music. How was university life? Because you said that you've got two sisters. Um, mm. Was it an easy move for you to leave home and start university? Or did you become yeah, terribly I homesick? I couldn't wait to leave. It was the best thing. And I'm, I'm glad I did. And I never went back. <laughs> it was great I, I i thoroughly enjoyed university i remember my dad being like university's 20 percent education 80 percent social he would probably argue that it's 70 but it's, the point is it, it was fantastic but a lot of sort of um the education aspect you know you were encouraged to do it otherwise you would fail the course and so the first the first year was very much sort of finding your feet and having a laugh and then the second and the third year was, you know, absolutely kicked my ass. It was very much about, you know, you got to get good or that's it. And um, because I did that so hard in my third year, the fourth year was a cakewalk. Um, but by that point, even in university, we were getting work and we were working alongside our teachers outside of university and in, in the studio and sort of at, at gigs, doing tours. So we had kind of a lot of us kind of got what we were after by the end of the course. So it, it was it was kind of interesting. Track three, Sammy Davis Jr. I'm surprised more people don't talk about Sammy. I'm pretty certain they, they do. Um, he's a real, he's a real trailblazer, but only because he was sort of allowed a platform by a white audience very early on. Um, there are probably people who are as talented, but they didn't get sort of recognition based off their skin color. Um, and Sammy Davis Jr., obviously being a member of the Rat Pack, um, who we think of as sort of Frank and uh, Dean Martin and Sammy, but there are others such as Peter Bishop and a funny fourth guy, I can't remember his name, who are sort of writers who like to drink 
and um, or comedians, and they would write jokes for Frank and Dean. And there were even jokes that were told at sort of Sammy's expense um, in these live shows, which he would sort of laugh off and sort of, you know, trade jokes as well. But, you know, and when you look back at it, it is very uncomfortable and it is it's not the right thing to do. But as much as I love Frank Sinatra, because he has a whole package when it comes to sort of his vocal performance, or Dean Martin, who has the better vocal, in my opinion, um, Sammy Davis Jr. was just the best all-rounder. He had everything. He really was too talented to be part of that group. Trumpet, tap dancing, um, stage persona, drumming, keys, you know, singing, everything. He could just do the entire thing. And this particular song, What Kind of Fool Am I, I loved when I was in high school. This is like the lamest thing when everybody was getting into blood sugar, baby sex magic, red hot chili peppers, you know. Have you heard of this stuff called drugs? You know, I was getting into... Um, it's like a very sort of like loungy version of a song from a musical. Um, like most of these sort of like jazz standards are. But the way that it's delivered is key as to why this is so great and why sort of Sammy was the best. Because it's more than just, um, just very softly crooning into a mic. What kind of fool am I? Who never fell in love It seems that I'm the only one That I have been thinking of What kind of man is this? An empty shell a lonely cell in which an empty heart must dwell what kind of lips are these that lied with every kiss that whispered empty words of love that left me alone like Play and live my life. 
was invented before then people would shout down sort of like cylinders so they could be recorded on wax and then you have someone like Bing Crosby going into a mic going bum, 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 you know and then everybody going wild and then Sinatra did that and so you just had this sort of like history a good decade or so of people using ribbon mics more intimately and um when Sammy comes along it's it is very intimate but he can shout he can really belt these songs and this song is like a perfect example of it. it starts off very intimately and then it builds this huge big crescendo almost like a musical number but there's more style to it and it's it gets super ham like at the very end it's just uh, at, at the top it's it's just one big sort of like rising scale if you want to look at it at say like an omicron scale it's just low and then brrr, all the numbers go up and it never goes down it's very much that in terms of dynamics it's just very quiet and then it goes all the way up but the way it's delivered again is about how fragile he can sort of bring this performance but at the same time the amount of power and thought that he's putting into his delivery um i mean it, it talks about sort of you know not being good enough um you know r redemption in terms of sort of like any kind of relationship is um or tainted one it's something which a lot of people can sort of relate to and this is exactly he, he just does it so so well i used to sing this with a friend of mine who was also into some of the weird musically theater songs that i could do sometimes he would just sort of like get into this and go blah and sing the song and be like yeah you hit it that time you hit it that time again it's not very cool but give I'm us a rendition go this. on <laughs> no no i'm all right <laughs> it's it's too it's too early in the morning but um it's I associate this song with a lot of happy memories at high school and sort of like very much sort of like why I like sort of standards, why I like sort of those singing standards. It's not all about singing pentatonic runs or um, trying to emulate it like Sinatra. You know, it's very much it can be tackled in various different ways. And I think the person who did it the best might not have had the best uh, vocal, in my opinion, which is Dean, but he just had everything he had absolutely everything and was a trailblazer as well as a human being he had a mixed race relationship when in the day that you were discouraged from even talking to somebody of another race he was blind to one eye you know he just didn't care he absolutely just didn't care he just did it and um his friends around him sort of would support him with that like um frank and Dean would be like, we're not playing this gig if, if, unless Sammy's allowed in the main room. Yeah, and well, it helps if you own the hotel, like the Sands, but um, in other places, um, they did support. It was the bare minimum, to be perfectly honest, but it was, at that time, you know, almost unheard of. Talk to us about your dyspraxia and how it impacts your mm -hmm. everyday life. Well, when I was younger, my dyspraxia really was a bigger deal. Uh, 
now as I've gotten older, there are aspects of it which still exist. Like if um, I could drop a cup, I'm not very, my motor skills aren't really that great, but I'm able to sort of get by in life. And I, I try not to let it um, get in the way. I don't actually think about it too much. Uh, dyspraxia is something which also affects you mentally. So it's, and that wasn't something that was truly sort of discussed or was in the early days of sort of um, studies when I was younger. Um, but again, you know, I've, I've, I'm very adaptable because of all these exercises that I was given as a young person. And then I would have to change the way that I did one thing and then do another. I've learned to adapt very well when a difficult situation arises. So I would say in that sense, it prepared me for a lot of things coming. I mean, most recently the pandemic, I had to do a bunch of adapting to, you know, live to pay for things and to sort of mentally keep myself in a good place while um, things were falling around. And yeah, I, I associate sort of dyspraxia and sort of learning how to cope in these situations with um, sort of influencing how I sort of cope in difficult situations now, you know, which is all a positive thing. Track four. Now, I know very few people who know about Benjamin Clementine, and I am a huge mm. fan. So I'm thrilled that this is one of your uh, selection today. I wanted to choose um, this song uh, because, sorry, I'm just moving my chair around, because I, there's nobody else like Benjamin Clementine. It's very easy to say, this person's the new Bob Dylan, or this person is the new, I remember Jack Johnson, a big, if you remember Jack Johnson, so banana pancakes and stuff, like surf rock kind of stuff. A big selling point of this album, In Between Days, which was a huge one, was this is Bob Dylan. This is the new Bob Dylan, which was garbage because he's not Bob Dylan. He's Jack Johnson. He's doing his own thing. But it was a publicity sort of like spin that they wanted to put on it. A guy with a guitar who's white. It's very understated. Okay, cool. Bob Dylan. <laughs> but... I can't think of anybody trying to relate anything to what Benjamin does or continues to do. He's an orator, you would probably say. He's more of a poet than he is a musician. But, you know, his piano playing skills are very much his own. The way that he plays piano is very much self-taught. He is hunched over it. If you saw him at a piano, you'd be like, that is not. If you're a classical pianist, you're like, this is not how it's done. But it adds to the whole performance. This very tall slender so black man you know very long coat boots and this amazing sort of like sort of wedged haircut comes out and sort of sits and then crou literally crouches over the piano and then just starts playing and then rather than sort of singing into the mic or singing sort of like at the keys turns around while still playing the piano and starts orotating to the um, the audience starts addressing the audience his delivery is unlike anybody else it's more like spoken poetry his, his voice is like a deep baritone so again or we can also go super high as well but he he it's something which you do not expect from somebody that tall and his frame and the stuff that he's talking about he's you can tell he's very careful with how he chooses his words and when he um 
interprets them as well. It's just, it's spot on. It's exactly what it's like. I, the best way I could describe it is like if it's an audiobook. I swear that you've seen me. Yes, you've seen me here before. Before. And so don't tell it. Don't tell it otherwise. This voice, this particular voice, yes, you've heard it before. Before. And so don't you dare tell it. Don't you dare tell it otherwise. No wonder why the road seems so long. Cause I done it all before and I won you felt this feeling tell me don't be ashamed you felt it before before and so don't tell me don't tell me otherwise Forgot. Foolish me, I almost forgot Forgot that where I'm from We see the rain before the rain even starts to rain No wonder why you've been buggering me This walk, it's a previous journey Who are the artists that you've longed to go and see and succeeded and met? Um, and who um, is on your top three list to go and see? Uh, when I was in high school and then went to university, I loved Ben Folds, Ben Folds Five. Um, in the 90s, they were sort of the opposite of what grunge was. Um, grunge being sort of like just guitar, long hair, some things, anti-establishment, you know, but with decent chords as opposed to just four chords, um, like punk can be. And what Ben did was he had a piano, bass guitar, drums. It was very sarcastic. There was a lot of musical theater themes there, but there was an attitude and I loved it. I loved the musicality of, again, it's a piano singer songwriter, but they're doing something different. More like um, uh, Jay Lewis, not, not the lady guy, but the guy who plays piano. I, I always confuse the pianists. 
but um, very much Ben Folds was somebody I really wanted to see live. And I got the chance to when I was in uni. And, and then I queued outside to meet him. And it was a biggish queue to see him in Glasgow. But then when I went to talk to him, he talked to me for like a solid 10 minutes you know, about music and interest. And he didn't feel like he was rushed. He didn't necessarily want to leave. You know, he was just such a decent guy. I always wanted to meet Sting. And I think it's a really bad idea if I ever did. The guy, it's, <laughs> I think, yeah, there's the saying, don't meet your heroes. I got very lucky with Ben Folds. I would be, I feel I would be unlucky with Sting. He, he feels like he's very much in his own universe. And it would be very difficult to speak to him without saying something which he has already heard a thousand times before. Yeah. Um, I admire the man so much, the, like his, the way that he sort of appro approached jazz and he, he tends to be sort of like fobbed off as somebody who's like quite up himself or he can be quite erudite. I sound like I'm quite erudite, so I know that's not really the case. <laughs> you know, there's no education here, but um, I love his stuff. I think he's, he's one of the greatest songwriters who've ever lived. Randy Newman is an absolute hero. I think the man can do no wrong. Uh, he's been able to write the same song again and again. And I cry every time. I think it's Marie is one of the best songs ever. It's it's so sad and it's so funny and everything about it. And it's under like under three minutes. It's criminal. It's, I don't know how anybody can do that. And I still don't. It's almost a magic trick. I do want to meet Harry Connick Jr. He's turned more into sort of a TV presenter uh, and a Christian music artist. But he is, yeah, he really got me into sort of what you can do musically with a piano, like on what you can do sort of chord-wise. You can write dissonant chords and it can still be considered cool. You know, it can still be considered very funky. I love his delivery. I used to steal his delivery when I was first starting as a musician. But he has sort of very New Orleans, New Orleans drawl. So when I would do it, it would just sound terrible. But um ended up sort of moving from that into my own voice. But um yeah, there's there's so many that I could really talk about. But those those I think are a big, big chunk for me. Your next track has is one that has certainly challenged me because I couldn't track it down and I had to resort to you to ask to yeah. send it to me. <laughs> this is this is a really, really interesting track. This was the time again when I went into a record shop and I wanted to I just heard something over the speakers and I'm like, what is that? It was, it's really strange. It's, it's a 60 piece orchestra of sort of um, musicians in um, Detroit. So Detroit musicians, or in fact, it's in New York. So it'll be musicians sort of in the Harlem area, I believe. Um, and okay, so the track is called Jealousy. It is, um, an orchestral reimagining of um, a hip hop producer and artist called Jay Dilla. Jay Dilla is associated a lot with like Q-Tip and um, Tricor Quest, um, Slumville, I think is the name of his trio. And this is an orchestral reimagining of one of his songs called Jealousy. Uh, Jay Dilla died when he was 32 from cardiac arrest. He died very, very young, but when he 
was around, he revolutionized how we sample, we take samples um, or how hip hop instrumentals um, can be. It's more than just or something underneath it. It can be more layered. It can be, you could take sort of like a voice sample and then the twist it and then add it. And the man was a savant. He was so, so good. I only learned about him through this album. And this album is part of a series I won't bore you, so I'll get to the point. It is a 60-piece orchestra. Um, the songs are arranged by an, an arranger called Miguel Atwell Ferguson, and the album is called Sweet for Mardukes, Mardukes being Jay Diller's mum. When Jay Diller passed away, they've not been able to make or weren't able to make any money from his records because he had so many debts to the government. Uh, you know, welcome to America. And so... This concert was back in 2006, was part of a series to sort of give money to artists who couldn't really, you know, whose families couldn't really afford to get anything from the talent, which uh, that was left behind. And it was also used to sort of immortalize artists who we wouldn't normally think about, especially when you talk about sort of orchestral music and then hip hop. You know, they have a very close symbiotic relationship, but the audiences of both are very different. And so they're slowly sort of been coming together. This is my favorite of this sort of two hour concert and it's all live. And what Miguel does is sort of take like a sample. I think this is from the song Jealousy by Slumville and takes it and then just arranges it perfectly for the 60 piece orchestra with like stops and sort of flourishes from harp and you've got like the woodwind section it's just it's beautiful and i heard this in a store and i had to stop and i was like what is this expecting somebody to sort of like start um start their flow at the top and there was nothing it was just let it go you know this sample then flows into another one which flows into another one which flows into another one <laughs>
out of print. It's annoying that you can't sort of find it on Apple or iTunes or Deezer or anything like that, but you can find it on YouTube, like some of these tracks. Um, I think it might have even been, it's intermittently released on every odd like record store day or something. And I'm not being a hipster about it. It's just genuinely sort of an album, which I always bring up when I'm at parties before I bring up like the worst music possible. So everybody leaves. Um, Cannibal Corpse Hammer Smash Face is my favorite track to play if I want people to leave. And, um, but this, yeah, I love this record. And it's, it's a testament to sort of a time in my life, again, where I was just sort of listening to music and just something, I hear something and you resonate with it and you're just like, wow, there's very few moments in life where you get that. So that was very special for me. And it's also the record itself is a beautiful example of a community, several communities coming together to remember a marginalized artist or an artist who is sort of, was known by people who were more well-known, you know, famous for the people who were famous. And they sort of elevated his talent, not for any sort of material wealth of their own, but so more people could know and understand just how good and revolutionary this guy was. Now, you've recently just got over COVID. Yeah, yeah. Don't recommend it. <laughs> um, you were vaxxed up and what have you. So it was, was yeah, yeah. not as bad as it could have potentially been. No, no. Learn most about yourself during the last two years. Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I would, I know it's, it's hard to say this without sounding like an ass, you know, or to be like, oh, I'm particularly special. I can do this because we've all had to do this. We all had to adapt. And um, when I had to get work, when I had to sort of make a difficult decision, I made them, you know, that I didn't pause. I had to, I had to make a decision. And so I was surprised by how quickly I was able to adapt. Um, even if I didn't want to do it, especially if I didn't want to do something, I had to adapt. And I don't think that's something particularly special with me. I think a lot of us have had to make these decisions, if not all. It's this giant social experiment we've all been thrown into and we, you know, we're still discovering what does that mean? We'll still be having papers written about this for ages, um, forever almost. But yeah, just how, just how quickly I had to adapt and how we've all had to adapt and just, you know, do it without question. It is very frustrating, but at the same time, you know, to make difficult decisions, you know, it's, it is part of life. I mean, it's just, you know, on fast forward, it's just fast forwarded. Your final track, Alan Toussaint, Yes, We Can Can. So I discovered this from several artists before I heard Alan's version. Um, for Harry Connick Jr., one, and then from Elvis Costello, he did a record with Alan Toussaint. And so when they would perform live, they would play this song. It became sort of a an anthem for the Obama um, administration, or at least for the the first and second election, the first one in particular, because of Yes We Can, that iconic poster. But um, it's a very solid message. Obviously, you know, it, you know, now's the time for all of us to just get together, not worry about any quarrels. We've got to do this, you know, for the better betterment of our community. You know, it doesn't matter if you like one thing or I look different, you know, this is benefits us all. So, you know, put up, shut up and, you know, we can do this. And it's a really solid message. And no, nobody gets that message across better than Alan. Um, I think Elvis Costello was very much encouraged him to 
sing his own songs again. Like he has only a small handful of solo records, but he was very much not confident with his own voice. But again, it's that sort of fragility that you find in sort of an untrained voice, quote unquote, untrained voice that makes it re really sing. And uh, yes, we can count. I love the feel, the shuffle. It's just New Orleans dripping, dripping with New Orleans and Creole sort of influence. Um, yeah, it just gets me in a really good mood. It gets me pumped. You know, it's not my eye of the tiger, but it's, yeah, I enjoy it thoroughly. And I really like this version. I really do. Now is the time for all good men to get together with one another. Iron out their problems and iron out their quarrels and try to live as brothers. And try to find peace within without stepping on one another. And do respect of the women of the world. Just remember we all had mothers. Make this land a better land in the world in which we live. And help each man be a better man with the kindness that you give. And I know we can make it. I know that we can. I know done well we can work it out. Oh, yes, we can. I know we can. your younger self so think of a point in time in your early years where you might have been struggling and needed reassurance what would you now go back and tell your younger self that would reassure him um, about that particular period in his uh, youth I would tell him to um, invest in Google and Bitcoin and and don't question what any of those things are as soon as you see it put money in it then don't question it. Don't take that money out. Just sit, sit there and write it out. Um, stay away from NFTs. No, take more risks. I think I would probably say to myself as a young person, it's just take more risks when it comes either to music or socially, just because at the end, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know, as long as you're having a good time. Mm -hmm. 